Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. On today's show, we have Lori and Matt Krieg, LK and MK, authors of An Impossible Marriage. And I think more importantly, living in an impossible marriage. Yes. Which is made possible by Jesus. Amen. Know it. Know it. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, not only have you written this book, but you're the authors of the Hole in My Heart podcast, which, in my opinion, is the funniest podcast about sexuality on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> we do like to joke. <laughs> we, we find you need at least 30% jokes in order to let some of the steam off. It just gets too, too yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah. And when we're going down so deep, sometimes we just need to come up for air. Amen. Especially me. <laughs> especially you yeah yeah me and Lori often joke that sometimes she could be wearing like a scuba suit while i'm sitting here with a snorkel emotionally <laughs> oh, so so i need to like come up for a breather every now and again awesome well Lori and matt can you tell us a little bit about how you got here and what's this story that god has been telling in your lives well, uh, here specifically is this place where we're almost releasing a book, which this was a book that um, we did not want to write, nor did we plan on it. Uh, we didn't really want to live it. So lot, lots of pushback in our own hearts. But um, I had been trying to get a book published, something maybe about core needs or about other things that we've talked about, sexuality in general. And then a publisher came to us and was like, hey, how about marriage? And we're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and we knew like, you know, what we had just been walking through and God had done some good work, but I'm like, people write marriage books, like at year 25 plus, like we're in year 10, 11, no way. Also we're like the worst marriage, aren't we? But it's really neat how first Corinthians talk talks about how God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> And that's like his whole kingdom. It's this upside down kingdom where he's like, you, the one at the bottom of the barrel, who's like hiding, get in, like, I'm going to use you. So that's uh, what this book is, um, is really taking our mess and God transforming it into his message. We, we didn't necessarily set out to write this particular book, um, you know, but this book was something that we had a lot of conversation about, a lot of you know, Laurie would call them kitchen, con- kitchen conversations where we're just really going through our day and trying to unpack what's going on in our lives. And, and a lot of, a lot of what we were unpacking for those couple of years where, where we were in just a season of pain is, is kind of what comes out in the book and how we navigated through that. Yeah. And this book is particularly about your mixed orientation marriage. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? That would is usually where people are like, so what's that? Um, mixed orientation marriage is not actually even a phrase that I knew <laughs> when I was making vows to be in my mixed orientation marriage. Because uh, truly, it's just marriage. But what we mean when we say that is one of the default attractions uh, of one of the individuals who is married, their default attraction or orientation, their sexual orientation is not toward the gender of their spouse. 
So in my case, in our case, that would be me. When I struggle with lust, it's toward women. And um, when Matt struggles with lust, it's toward women too. So maybe it's the same orientation marriage. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it explores that. And one of the things I love is how you completely reframe the entire discussion around what is sexual brokenness? What is sexual wholeness? And how we are all disoriented. We are all oriented towards self, towards disunity, not towards mind, body, soul connection. And therefore, we're actually all in the same boat that you guys are just brave enough to talk about. Yes. I love that you see that. What were you going to say, Matt? Yeah, I was going to say that that's probably the most important piece of the book is just coming to it and realizing like, okay, we all have brokenness that we're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and we have said like, Hey, the, the, the formula for a a thriving marriage is not to take a same sex attracted person and a pornography addicted person. And just everything works out like that is not the story that people would write. But for some reason, that is the story that God wrote for us. And, and it took both of us really looking at our, our sexuality and saying, what do I need to really bring into alignment with Christ in order to actually make this marriage work and not just this marriage work, but in order to, to bear the fruit that God would have us to bear through our marriage. Yeah, totally. So when you say a pornography addicted person, you're talking about, yeah, I'm talking about myself because, yeah. because that was, that was my story that, uh, I mean, five years ago I had come clean to, to Lori about a secret addiction um, that I had been wrestling with since I was, I mean, really like 11, 12 years old, that that all began and then slowly built to this addictive space. Um, and finally coming clean was a, a massive shift for my life. I really feel like that was the first time that I truly felt God's presence, like in his grace extend to me personally, even though I had known about it in my head. Um, this book doesn't get quite as much into that as, as it does some wrestling that, that was happening later on after that time. Um, but yeah, our, our stories, we've both brought in um, some immense kind of sexual brokenness into this, into this marriage. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is right at the beginning on page two. Just because Matt is attracted to women doesn't mean our marriage is whole. Just because I, Lori, am attracted to women doesn't mean our marriage is broken. Right. <laughs> it's so funny how people, you know, they just automatically look to me. But really the message, a message of the book is we need to dethrone marriage and sex in marriage from the idol it has become mm-hmm. while elevating them both, marriage and sex and marriage, to the gospel metaphor that they are. Mm-hmm. And that was something Matt had to work on dethroning mm-hmm. sex and marriage from the idol. And I had to work on elevating it to the gospel metaphor, which really after Matt dethroned, it was really, we, we were just lifting God up and trying to do that as we live the yeah. metaphor now. Totally. So you talk about how for Matt, sex was like the ultimate gift and it just had to become a good gift. While for Lori, Sex was a burden and a curse, and it had to become a gift. Yeah. And like a God gift. Like it's, it's so different. They, yeah. I don't know. Maybe everyone else just sees it. Like it's different when it's like, here's your Christmas present. When it's like, mm. I found this and God told me to give this to you. 
And like, this is, you know, I've heard from when I was tiny, like sex is a gift from God, maybe not like super tiny, but like, you know, it's like God created it. Don't be ashamed of it. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, great. But I didn't actually get it until honestly, we hit the bottom in our marriage. I mean, we're talking about these things in general, like, oh, sex is a good gift, which sounds like, you know, a pretty thing you would put on a, a Christian meme or something. I don't know. Right. But like, this is rugged. This is gritty. This is raw when you're in a therapist's office and being triggered or wondering, you know, are we going to make it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think we we definitely found ourselves at that place looking at each other and saying, how much hope do we have that this marriage is actually going to survive? Um, and both kind of looking and saying, man, maybe like 1%, a half a percent, you know, but, but God took that and mm-hmm. a lot of work, a lot of tears, a lot of yeah. counsel from, from other friends and believers. And, and ultimately like from God intervening, like we were able to, to kind of re reframe and restart, like, okay, what is the foundation of our marriage? You know, is it our happiness? Is it sexual fulfillment, you know, or is it something more? And, and really that's where this, the whole idea of like, okay, marriage as a metaphor that, that became rooted, you know, out of this place of pain for us. Which if I can give a tad bit of context. So we were married for those six, seven years. And at year six, Matt came forward with his pornography addiction. But like those first years were good. Like I, I didn't trick Matt into marrying me or vice versa. Like it, like he knew I was attracted to the same sex. I, I think we didn't really realize how significant of a role it would play in our marriage. Because the first years are like sweet and your friends and the heart connection. And then porn stuff came out and then we are going to work through it together. And we did, but then you're seven and my, our second daughter was born and our oldest turned the age that I was when a uh, repressed or suppressed suppresses when you put it, I don't know. I shoved that memory down that something happened to me at the age our oldest daughter was, and it came to the surface. And although Matt was not my perpetrator because he was a man and my perpetrator when I was young was a man, he just triggered in me every time he walked certain rooms in certain areas. And I just would go catatonic. I would fight or flight or freeze. But then because I already had these attractions to the same sex that I had been surrendering to Jesus, all of a sudden the magical friendship that was like connecting us because of the trauma, all of a sudden Matt was now my enemy and it magnetized to the attractions to the same sex. And it started asking me questions like, why are you even in this marriage? why like you should leave and so that's where the story begins and really the questions we're asking throughout yes are these big ethereal you know gospel metaphor but it's it's also like what the heck is marriage period why is it male and female what is sex period like why did god actually create it and then there's themes of processing trauma themes of idolatry of sex uh, as well as the same sex attractions I'm pausing just to, in case Matt wanted to talk a little bit about that. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know where you're, you're having us go. So, okay. Well, I will say that um, we talk a lot about triggers on the show and I like to say a trigger is a time machine. Mm-hmm. And when these triggers were coming up, Lori was in a time machine. 
and you were back in that place of being little Lori without even knowing it. So I, I felt immensely powerless, even though I had enough knowledge to know, quote unquote, what I could do. But because of my position in her life, I just felt like I, I can't do anything. And I was, anyway, there's a lot of me self-protecting and trying to fix her. And that's not the right mindset to go about it when you're working with someone who's being triggered. And so there was, yeah, we had our own, our own stuff that we were dealing with. Um, and, and I think that was the big place for me where Lori mentioned this idolatry of sex like in this space where, I mean, I walk into a room and I mean, holding her hand would have been triggering for her. Patting her on the back would have been triggering to her. Um, and so in this place where it's like, man, sex is just outright off the table. That was a place where I had to look and start saying, okay, what, what am I bringing to this relationship that I truly need to, to give over? And, and really rely on God for, for sustaining grace in, in the midst of this place that I, am, I never assumed that I would be. Um, and, and so, I mean, I look back on the two years that kind of this, this immense turmoil was happening. And while I never, ever, ever want to go back there, um, I am profoundly grateful for the way that God led us through it. And, and there was a whole lot of growth that happened in that pain. And if Matt hadn't have done that, do we call it submission to me or just that servant role? Like he, it just was like this servant. I don't know where we'd be today because he did for a time. And we talk about this. He was kind of, it was just his, his prayers and his attitude. And like, he's like, get help, get fixed. He's like, I don't need the attractions fixed. So no one hear that. He's like, I knew that getting into this. He's like, it's this trauma memory. But the more he put his foot on the gas pedal for me, the more I shoved my foot on the brake. And so that created such a painful dynamic because I could tell him like, you want to fix me. And even though it was not, we were never loud. It was never like a volatile house, but it was an icy house. And so it was such, it wasn't, and it wasn't even a tactic that Matt did. You know, you can read the whole book and you were like, oh, well that worked. We didn't know it would work. He just said, I need to work on my heart and I got to take my foot off her gas pedal. Mm -hmm. And I decided I maybe wanted to start working. (laughs) Yeah. That's a theme I see throughout the book, the power of just being present, yeah, just being with each other in the pain. And even as you put it, little Lori connecting with little Matt. That's some of people's favorite parts of the book are those weirdo <laughs> things we did that we didn't know what you're we doing. So to give some context, Um, you know, I've alluded to this trauma in my world and we won't call it trauma in Matt's world, but we'll call it, what did you call it, Matt? Like a life event? Yes. I I experienced wounding. And and one of those places that we go in the book was little me, little Matt sitting on the stairs, just kind of wishing for someone to come and seek me out and, and feeling like, like I wasn't a valued member of, of the family. Like I wasn't a, um, 
I wasn't lovable. I wasn't viable. I wasn't someone that had kind of this gravitas about them. Um, you know, and so, yeah, little Lori being able to kind of sit on the stairs with little Matt is one of the scenes in the book, you know, was, was actually really helpful because it made me vulnerable, which I hate. I still hate. I'm still working on it. No one wants to be vulnerable. Um, but in that vulnerability, I became something other than a perpetrator to her. And, and it's like it helped to differentiate, to, to make a distinction between what had happened to her in the past and the person sitting next to her in the present. And, and while that was extremely uncomfortable to go into, it was really profound that we both got to care for these places, like as almost little kids, like innocent, not, not trying to quote unquote fix her so that I could have my comfortable sexually active marriage back, but just to, to sit as, as two kids who had been wounded in different ways, but needed someone to just be with them. And that practice went back and forth. Um, that's something that Matt and I are working on is how can we teach other couples to engage this space of childhood wounding and joy? finding these places of joy. Cause even now, if I step on Matt's emotional toe, he, he can just say, Lori, can you just come sit with me on the skip? You never listen. You're so, you know, whatever sort of cycles that we can get into all of a sudden I go, oh, it's such a check for me. But to know those places, because for me, it was also engaging, not just wounding places in my heart, but also joy places, you know, just where I'd enjoy being with as myself as a kid and like inviting little Matt into that space. Oh, it's so sweet. I didn't really know what we were doing, but it was great. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, so powerful to read about how you went through this together. It wasn't like Beauty and the Beast where one of you is trying to transform the other one back into a human. It's more like Shrek, as one of my podcast guests put it. Like, we're both ogres and we embrace that and we are learning how to be with each other in the middle of it, which is really what actually helps in the end. Yeah. One of my big takeaways from this book was the concept of core needs. And that we all have these needs. You identify 10 of them and, and you make a distinction between a need and a demand mm -hmm. um, between um, maybe inviting somebody else in mm -hmm. and demanding that they perform for me or become God to me. Um, could you talk a little bit about maybe one of those core needs that is really primary for you and how you've seen the difference between invitation and demand. Mm -hmm. Therapist. <laughs> yeah. So, so when I'm talking about that distinction between, okay, what is a need and, and what is, what is a demand? I often go to James chapter one, you know, when it talks about um, this kind of progression from evil desire, which leads to temptation, temptation to sin, sin to death. And, and, the, the need, I feel like when, when in our pride, we kind of twist it into that evil desire. The need. Give us an example of a need. Yeah. So, so for me, one of my primary needs that, that I often feel like depletes the quickest is this need to be desired, the need to be seen as 
um, desirable, specifically chosen, no pretense necessary. Like I don't have to earn it just in who I am. I am desirable. Um, when I demand that need to be met in a certain way, whether that's looking at Lori and saying, I want you to desire me sexually, or I demand that you come over and like cuddle with me, like uninvited, like, like, like I don't want to have to do the work. I want you to seek me out and like meet me because physical touch is also a primary kind of love language for me, you know? And so if I was to look at Lori and say, I want you to desire me, I need you to desire me in this physical realm, in this physical space in our marriage, um, that's not fair. Now I can, I can invite her. I can ask and say, Hey, I'm feeling, you know, undesired. I'm feeling, you know, depleted in this area. Is it like, would it be okay if I just kind of had a hug or, you know, could you just rub my back for a bit or whatever? And she can say yes or no. Always say yes or no. You can always say yes or no. But if I'm not putting out the invite, if I'm not kind of assertively seeking that that need to be met, not just through Lori, ultimately, like ultimately the, the need has to be met through God. Um, if I just try and do it on my own power, like to, to replenish this need on my own strength, that is that is kind of where it can turn into this demand. And honestly, for me, that's one of the places that really would would start walking me down the path of of kind of my pornography use like if i if i stop inviting if i stop going to lori or if i stop going to god specifically and and try and just do things on my own pride and my own strength then pornography is definitely one of the spaces where i have ended up in the past and kind of got locked in there for for a lot of my life you know, and so to identify the need gives us something to say yes to, as opposed to just trying to fight and say no against the things that we so often want to. So good. Yeah. So we have these good needs and first Corinthians 13 says, love does not demand its own way. Mm. And God, even though he's God, he's never like, He's not going to just zap us. Usually like if we don't love him. He invites us. He's like, here's the path of flourishing. So if marriage is a metaphor of Christ's love for the church, when we put our foot down and say, you have to desire me this way, first of all, it's like super triggery, terrible. But also look above what you're saying. Look above the physical to what you're metaphoring. Is that how God treats his children? Is that how he treats us, the lover of his soul? Like literally there's marriage language from the beginning to the end of the Bible. And like, he's like, I have longed for you. Like he has this desire. Oh, you cheated on me. It's never like, oh, you're such a jerk. It's like, you've cheated on me. My Like my, oh, Jerusalem, I've longed to gather you together. And so there's this invite, uh, but there's love does not demand its own way. But then too, what Matt said, like to demand it of me and then to even stare at me as the one who desires Matt, that's the completer of his soul. And we women can do this too. You complete me, men. You have to complete me. Like, how much is that? First, how much better is that than porn to say, other human, you, you meet my needs? Yep. 
The reason that marriage and sex and marriage is so beautiful is the metaphor aspect is that we get to receive from God when we're doing this marriage and sex and marriage thing, which just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. That sex is worship when we're doing it right, <laughs> is that it's worship to God. Mm-hmm. And we receive from him right. through house. Right. So sex is not one of those core needs. No. So contrary to what we might think and contrary to what porn teaches, sex is not a core need and we can misidentify it when it's actually maybe that need to be desired. Um, or maybe one thing you talked about, Lori, was that need to be protected. That's a huge one for me, just in general, that need to be safe or protected. Um, And so like knowing I am safe, like I can even feel that way, even though sex was such a scary thing for me. And, and you guys, we don't have all this on lock. Okay. We're still, as we say, working on our metaphor, Uh, but that need to be protected. I can feel that from God in through something that was so scary in the way that cultivates uh, his physical strength. Uh, in that sexual act. And I helped to cultivate it and make, you know, so it's, I, I have to look through the gift to the giver. Otherwise I'm going to demand Matt is perfect. I'm going to, he's going to demand that of me. Everything has to be perfect, perfect, perfect. As opposed to this worship fest, which is just <laughs> imperfect. Yeah. It's imperfect. It's impossible. And yet it's so real. Mm-hmm. So what was I going to say? Oh yeah. One of my core needs is to be included. And it was so helpful for me to read that that need for me to be included rather than left out can be met by God, supported by other people. So often people spiritualize the heck out of this stuff. And they're like, oh, only God can, can give that kind of inclusion. Or it's like, well, you need others. And, and I just never fully resonated with either of those extremes. And you guys have said that, okay, rather than having this need be met by another person and maybe supported by God, it's no, it's God is the source and we are supporting one another in having God meet that. Yeah. Yes. Well, and, and that's the, that's the key is like, okay in a marriage specifically, like, yeah, your spouse is an instrumental part of like your, your understanding and not even just understanding like cognitively, but your feeling of like God's presence in your life, like, because they can be such a conduit, but it requires you to look through the other person, not as the source of all these things, but as, as just kind of the thing that helps the person who's helping to divert some of it to you, but God being the source. You know, and you talk about you, you talk about that inclusion to be included to belong is something that that is a need, and and often with a lot of the needs, if you look at them, they have to be held in balance with another need. Hmm. the The need to be included has to be held in balance with this need to be unique, this need to be like your your own kind of individual self. Lori, like she mentioned, the the need to be safe, the need to be secure. Um, but that has to be held in tension actually with probably Lori's primary need, which is to be seen. Because you if you if you go completely overboard seeking safety, you're you're gonna isolate from people and you will never be known. And and for for people that is that's I mean, if you if you read like the importance of like vulnerability. 
you know, in removing shame and openness and removing shame, being seen and received like that, that tension between being seen and exposed, but also like received by people and sent like and secure in that moment, you know? And so there's this balance that happens in the core needs. You can't like seek one as this like ultimate core need, which for me was desired. Um, that they all have to be kind of sought after and anything can be, you know, we talk about porn specifically, but, but any need can be directed toward porn. Belonging is one that, that can definitely go there. Desire is one that can go there. Goodness. How many people use porn as stress relief? They really need rest you know, or, or loneliness. They, yeah, they need belonging or, or, or something like any need can be directed in any, any way honestly. Um, and, and that's kind of the importance of the introspective work of like really identifying, you know, if you follow Jay Stringer, like the, the underlying emotional currents, you know, that, that lead people to the places they end up. Um, so yeah, just that, that important introspective and finding out, okay, what are the needs that I am really seeking here in what I'm doing? Okay. Awesome. So the, yeah, I mean, to me, this seems like one of the primary skills that you had to develop in order to make this marriage work. It's like, how am I going to meet my needs without putting all of that on the other person? Also, without isolating from the other person. And, you know, you mentioned, both of you guys have mentioned, like, looking through the person to God. That's that's a, a big piece of it. But I think, too understanding the privilege that we get uh, if God has called us to marriage, uh, but and definitely because God has called us to be part of the church, is to help to remove barriers. So it's like if you picture, you know, we talk about this oneness mountain type thing and like God's, uh, the core needs are getting, we call them core needs streams, we call them aqueducts in the book, but that God wants to meet these needs through this like raining down that he has in us. Uh, but there's barriers that can get in the way from us actually getting these needs met and things like trauma. I called it like a big, like gangrenous or like mold growing rock. And, um, Matt couldn't uproot that, but like, that was huge in my ability to get, you know, that ability to be close to Matt physically, or I think about the attractions of the same sex, you know, those can be weeds. You can imagine that can just be barriers from receiving that love of God. And so I think just, yes, understanding this language is huge. So Matt and I will talk, like if I'm really wrestling with lust issues, or if Matt is really wrestling with that, or if I'm wrestling with a bunch of other things, it so helps to ask the other, ask each other, what do you need? And the answer is never sex <laughs> ever. Yeah. And nor is it, I just need like a suit for us women. You know, we talk, we joke about, you know, there's the, sorry, but orgasm. And then there's the emogasm, how women, we just want to <laughs> have that like moment and the conversation where it's boom, I want that. And, and really we all, we need, we desire that guys want that connection too. And women do want that connection too, but yeah, how can I want the emo guys? <laughs> I gotta admit. Yes, right. So how, how can we have received from God what we truly need and how can we remove barriers to have that connection um, and really be able to help to, to, to see God. I got distracted by emo gasm. I'm not going to lie, but I guess the point of it is 
how can we use this language um, to help get these needs met through people, but really from God? Yes. So beautiful. And that kind of explains to me how our impossible marriages, which are all impossible, can become possible when it takes us out of this selfishness, this constant trying to meet my needs myself. Okay, so this is really good stuff. We talk about the goodness of sexuality. What about the goodness of same-sex attraction? Can we bless same-sex attraction without diverting from God's design? I'm not trying to take an open affirming stance, just trying to root it in the gospel, which says that our sexuality is good. Is there a way that we can embrace maybe the needs or desires that we have, even if they come out in all kinds of ways? That's a good question. And I'm sure, you know, if you're kind of looking at me to answer that as the one with the attractions to the same sex, um, but Matt, you're welcome to jump into I may not agree with all your listeners and they might not agree with me. I think attractions to the same sex is an aberration. It's a product of the fall. Also, Matt has aberration of the fall. If God has called you to marriage, anything that is at all looking away from the oneness with your spouse is an aberration of the fall. And the only way we can have that oneness is God. So is the one who's empowering us to be one. So I I say that to say, I think it's an aberration. Um, However, I will say, I think that God has used it for sure. Uh, But in kind of, is it second Corinthians 12? Like in my weakness, he is strong. Like I don't pray the gay away. I don't ask him to take it away anymore. It's just a really boring, dumb prayer to me at this point because he uses something just like he can use any sinful default that we have or product of the like you know friends with chronic pain like he doesn't want it but he can use it to drive us toward him and so i'm grateful for it because it keeps me humble um like i wanted to be a speaker writer since i was young did not want to be a speaker writer about this so this i don't get all the applause from all the sides on this in fact i get Mm -hmm. some lots of frowns and other gestures um uh and more but so i i'm grateful it keeps me humble i'm grateful it's taught me this heart stuff i know i wouldn't know this core need stuff yeah. i'm grateful it helps me empathize with matt and his wrestling i'm grateful it there is like community that can develop around this mutual understanding of brokenness there's a lot i'm grateful for about what i would still call an aberration uh from yeah that makes a lot of sense. I'm speaking as someone who has struggled with a sexual fetish. Yeah. And even though that's not the same as same-sex attraction at all, um, it has caused me to ask some of the same questions like, you know, where does this come from? Where is it trying to take me? And it seems to me like, while yes, it is an aberration, below that, if I look deeper there's a desire to connect yeah, yeah, and there's something actually right with me, which has been corrupted and twisted like everything. Right. Which is why the core needs aspect is such a helpful thing. And so that has to be said, right. You know, you talk, talk about the fall, but whenever Matt and I talk about LGBT, anything, we're always going good fall. So we'll start with 
<laughs> always start with the, the core needs piece and that it's, we're all, it's all misdirected. And so that was massively uh, impact, a huge impact in my life when I realized that underneath my desires for women were good needs to be seen, known, and loved. So, amen. Plus that, yes, for sure. Beautiful. Well, and I'll, I'll just say from myself personally, like from having worked with and walked with same sex attracted LGBT people, um, I see that they're vital to the church, you know, and, and especially like when I look at other, other guys, same sex attracted gay men, like they're vital, like so much of at least American or Western Christianity masculinity is this like aloof, isolating um, stance on masculinity, which is not masculine. You know, and so that I feel like, okay, some, some of the men that I've worked with, they're just very pursuant of other men, not even just in a sexual way, like just in a relational way, you know, and that's something that, that I feel like needs to be just, I don't know, included in the body and like spread in the body that, that men are not supposed to be isolated, stoic individualistic people like we are supposed to be drawn into community and pursuant of community and Lori knows like I am literally the worst person in the world about like texting people like people will reach out they'll say something I'm like out of sight out of mind I just like whatever I'm trying to get better at it he just is it's just he's just is where he's at he's very present (laughs) you know but but I I need I need people in my life to, to call me into relationship, like left to myself. And this is a part of my fallen nature is I am quote unquote good. I'm not really, but I can come off as good if I'm just on my own in the garage doing my thing. sometimes, Sometimes I need that, but, but not all the time. That's not where I plant my roots and just hunker down and sit like, yeah, I, I can retreat there, but ultimately it's got to be leading me back into community, you know, so that I can both be a conduit for other people to see God and so that I can see more of God through them, you know. And so that's one of the places that I really feel like the LGBT community within Christian circles specifically is is a, an immense blessing because we're not just this like uniform homogenized yeah. kind of understanding of what it means to be male female you know anything so absolutely and we all have this deep need for close connections and friendships with the same sex yeah matt you're growing there <laughs> i am really growing there i'm growing there too and i love how some of the guys I get to work with um, who are same-sex attracted bring such a blessing with their desire, this holy desire, that some of these core needs um, to bring me out of my shell too. So let's talk to some of the men who are listening or watching who are in a mixed orientation marriage. Specifically, let's say there's a same-sex attracted man and an opposite sex attracted woman 
and they're wondering, okay, how are we going to make this work? Can we make this work? So if you're listening and you're in a mixed orientation marriage, specifically dude and a dude, gay dude or same structure, dude, straight wife. I mean, I, I really am. I, I would, I mean, read our book. I would just say that. <laughs> yeah. Isn't another mixed orientation marriage book in right. existence. Mm-hmm. Unless you want an open marriage and that's not biblical. So there's that. But, um, I would, I say that to say it's hard to give advice right out the gate because I, you know, I have at this point, because there's enough books out there with the pre-sale, I'm getting messages just about every day from mixed orientation marriages, but different things hit them. And so straight wife recently reached out and she's like, oh my goodness, I was so convicted by your part, Lori, where you were, you know, asking this, these what if questions, what if I wasn't in this marriage and how you had to confess that, you know? And so it's hard to start other than, I think it will help you feel included, you know, to read something, you know, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I think Matt and I need to do some sort of training on how to train your friends to be your friend. Mm. Uh, because that is, it's, we talk, we say it in this book and we've said it on posts is the hardest part about being a mixed orientation marriage is the aloneness you feel is it is like every other marriage, but there's unique aspects and you're so scared. You're going to say something. And someone in the room is either gonna be like, Oh my gosh, you get to get out of marriage free card. You guys can totally get divorced. And you're like, don't speak what my flesh is saying. Um, or they're like, Oh my gosh, you just need to have more sex. That's going to fix it. So it's just, uh, I think, um, a way, really, I'm not just trying to sell books. I'm just being straight haha, with you. <laughs> if, if you guys in your small group or a few people in your world are willing to read this book side by side and they're willing to open their hearts like Drew did so beautifully and see their story and your story. Oh my gosh, that's going to open up so much for you. That is going to open up the world for you. Cause all of a sudden you guys can talk and get real, but it's not like patronizing fixing, but it's just side by side, gritty life on life work. Yeah, I would, I would add on to that. Okay. Specifically, if we're talking, uh, an LGBT or same sex attracted man, um, straight wife, mixed orientation marriage. Um, there are some unique challenges. And I think one of the biggest things that, that I've had to confront with people in those spaces is kind of the cultural norm of what sex is supposed to look like, that the man is supposed to be pursuant of it. And the woman is supposed to be like beating him back with a stick because he's just doggedly pursuing that. That is not the case for most marriages, whether it's, whether it's attraction related, whether it's trauma related, there are always barriers to proper sexual engagement, you know, and just because someone wants it a lot doesn't mean it's a good thing. Um, but but to really confront the that cultural understanding that because in that space that if if a man is maybe not like immediately aroused you know by by just the sight of his wife that that can become a place where okay it's hard to engage physically just physiologically that affects both the wife because she feels undesirable that affects the husband because then every time they're moving together it can almost become this like pass fail like, am I going to be able to perform? Am I not? And and that takes you out of kind of this oneness moment. You're concerned about 
your own performance and, and what's going to come after that. And so if there's a way for, for a mixed orientation couple, specifically in this, in this kind of set where the, the wife is the straight spouse and the husband is the same sex attracted or gay spouse, if you can confront this spot and just start to look at, okay, what does, what does sex look like for us? What does connection look like for us? What does intimacy and oneness look like for us? It can start emotional. It can start intellectual. It can start in any other realm. It doesn't just have to be this purely animalistic physical attraction because that will not sustain you. Yeah, you might want for that. You might be like, oh man, I wish it was easier. Me too. I wish it was easier. But that's not the story that God had for us. And I, and I don't think that success has to be predicated on that being the story for you. You know, you can have a thriving marriage and sex might always be the hardest part in it. Mm. But it might also be the place that brings you closest to one another and closest to God because of that striving struggle together. And so if we can undermine that kind of cultural understanding of men are always supposed to be ready and raring to go. And if a wife is worth it, her husband will always pursue her. That's not, that is not the case. Um, We can't, we can't let that be unconfronted as a foundation of what we believe a relationship is supposed to look like. So that's what I would say specifically to that kind of situation. There is so much hope right now. Um, and I not only see hope from this book after hearing from you guys for marriages individually, but for gospel friendships to flourish Mm -hmm. as a result. Um, I just can't imagine the level of vulnerable community that's going to come from this. If people press in and undermine these narratives and actually just become good friends, right? Mm -hmm. Let it be so. Yeah. So we can be present to one another in the middle of this without these impulses to fix or to run away or to hide um, and just receive the love of God the way it was intended. Um, Okay, guys, we're almost done. I have one more question for you. What is your favorite thing about your marriage? I have said this since we were dating, maybe even pre-dating, and I was just a total hot mess um, for many, many reasons. But I love about Matt and I love about our marriage is it's like a good improv sesh is I say something dumb. And since before we were dating, Matt has, doesn't laugh at me. He goes, yes, and that's just <laughs> improv. And so he'll take the dumb thing and make it even dumber. And then I, it's back and forth. And especially when we're in such a serious life and it can be serious biz and counseling, it's just that we can say something silly. And he's like, and then also is, that's my favorite thing about Matt right now. There's many things, but right now it is. And then also in our marriage as well. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that kind of humorous space as well, but since the beginning for me, one of the things that I really appreciated Lori about Lori was just that she was easy to talk to and she drew, she drew me out, you know, into, into spaces that I would never have gone 
you know, outside of our relationship. And so she's still deepening my emotional tank. Um, she's still, still searching for that emogasm, I guess, but. Oh my gosh. It's such a derailer of every conversation. No, but it's something that, that I have become a more emotionally adept and attuned person because of, of our relationship. And, and that's, I'm, I'm really thankful that she's willing to go there and not demand it. You know, she, she draws it out. She doesn't demand it, which has been really good, really good for us. Amen. And this impossible marriage, just like all marriages, it's made possible by the power of God, by Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, I am just so thrilled to be here at the beginning of this book launch and to see what God does with it. You guys can get uh, the book at a link in the show notes. By the time this episode comes out, it will be available. Thank you so much, Matt and Lori, for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Everybody listening. Always remember, you are God's beloved son, and in you, he's well-pleased. Mm-hmm.